been a while, but if you have your Bibles, would you open them please tonight once again to the book of Exodus? We're continuing a sermon series that we began some months ago, have taken a few months off because of different Sunday night things happening, but we're returning to a sermon series called Circles of Influence, and we're looking at the life of Moses and the circles of people that were around him that influenced him, positively and negatively, to become the great man of God that he was. When you look at any person that's great for God, any person that's successful for God, any person that's victorious for God, any person that's fruitful for God, whatever your definition of that would be, you will find very few, if any, that are self-made. Each and every one of them, for the most part, certainly have the anointing of God on them but they also have the touch of others that have encouraged them, inspired them, taught them, and helped them along the way. And that was true of Moses, it will be true of us. Exodus chapter 18, Moses and Jethro, beginning with verse 13. And it came to pass on the next day, that Moses sat to administrate to the people, to judge the people. And the people stood one by one in a line that was long to come to Moses. They began in the morning and continued all the way until late in the evening. When Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, saw all that Moses did to the people, He said, what is this thing that thou doest to the people, Moses? Why do you sit in this seat alone and act as the administrator and judge and counselor to all of these people? Why do you have these people come and stand before you from very early morning to very late at night? Verse 15, and Moses said to his father-in-law, he said, because the people come to me to inquire of God. They want to know what God's word says on this matter. They want to know what God's will is on this issue. I, I have to help them. And when they have a matter of any other sort, they come to me as well. And I judge between one and another. I make decisions of law concerning disputes. I make them know the statute of God and the laws by which we're to live. And Moses, in verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you do it, what you do, is not good. Think about that. That thing that you're doing is not good. Why? Verse 18, you will surely wear away both you and the people that is with you. For this thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do this all by yourself. You're not able to do this 
all alone. And we'll stop there for just a moment. And we'll be looking at some other verses. Neil Rudenstein was the president of Harvard University many years ago. As his president, he had the primary responsibility of raising money for the university. And on the average, under his administration, Harvard University received $1 million a day in donations. He spent untold hours in his office on the phone talking to people about helping the university. He went to meetings. He went to conferences all across the country to meet with constituents about making a donation to the university. He went to banquets. He went to dinners. He went to social gatherings to talk about the university and to entice people to give. Under his leadership, one million dollars a day rolled in to Harvard University. On top of that, he decided because he was a perfectionist, because he was of the micromanager mentality, he decided to also take over the responsibility of running the food services for the university. So much to the fact that he wanted to taste every new food that was introduced, and he micromanaged the selection of the menu items. He also took over the running and responsibility of the sports department, in effect becoming an athletic director even though he was the president. He took over the Human Resources Department. He wanted to know who was hired. He wanted to know the, 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 the evaluations of all the employees. He made decisions on who stays, who goes, who gets raises, who doesn't. And on top of that, he took over the housing of the students. Not just what they'd eat on campus, but where they would stay even down to who would be assigned to who in rooms. This president began his day at 7 o'clock in the morning and did not end his day on average till 9 o'clock at night. 14 hours a day, 7 days a week, Four weeks a month, 12 months of every year, this was his schedule. One day, he didn't show up for work. His wife found him in his bed. He had overslept, but he told her he could not get up. He said, I have nothing in me to get up. I am mentally, physically, emotionally empty. She took him to a medical doctor. 
The medical doctor looked at him for less than five minutes, according to the story. Immediately diagnosed him as burned out. He wouldn't return to work for seven months. For seven months he would be in bed, confined to rest, to rebuild a body that he tore down, that he crashed, that he burned out by trying to be a one-man operation and do everything himself. Now, why do I tell you that story? Am I promoting Harvard University? Heaven knows. No. But I tell you that story because Moses is going that direction in Exodus 18. He's headed for a fiery crash. He's headed for a physical, mental, emotional, and because he's a man of God, a spiritual burnout. He has the responsibility, ladies and gentlemen, of over one million adult people. Can you imagine pastoring a church of one million people? That's not counting the teenagers or the children. One million adult people, it is estimated, made up First Baptist Church of Israel as they're traveling to the Promised Land. Moses wears many different hats. He's the leader of the band. He's the administrator of the band. He's the counselor of the band. He's the teacher and instructor of the band. He is the judge of the band. This band of people, he has the responsibility in totality for. The only thing that he doesn't do is lead the worship. That's been assigned to his brother. And he doesn't lead the soldiers of Israel. That's been given to Joshua, but he has his hand in it. And according to our story, Moses gets up early in the morning and goes to what is called the seat of administration, the seat of counseling, the seat of judgment. The people who have issues, the people who have problems, the people who have disputes, the people who have questions, the people who have belly aches, they start lining up at sunrise. And one single file line that stretches for miles. And Moses is going to listen to them and make judgments for them, decisions for them. He's going to mediate, going to counsel. And he does that from the beginning of the morning when the sun goes up to the end of the day when the sun goes down. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine that. People drain you. Anybody who's in a people ministry know that while you can love people, people drain you. You work around people long enough, they will drain you. That's why when Jesus was going through the crowd and the woman who had this, the health issue reached out and touched him, he immediately stopped. 
And he said, who's touching me? And the disciples said something like to the effect, well, everybody's touching you. He said, no, I'm not talking about that. There's somebody touching me that has a need. And she's draining me of power. Faith brings the power of God into your life. And it, ladies and gentlemen, whenever you minister to people who have needs, and quite frankly, everybody has needs anymore, a draining takes place. And Moses is sitting in that seat day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, being drained. When does he have time to eat? When does he have time to go to the bathroom? When does he have time to pray? When does he have time to get alone with God? When does he have time to be with his family? He doesn't. His whole life is consumed and trying to be a one-man operation for the children of Israel. A lot of people don't even notice. That's what we pay him for. That's his calling. That's what he's supposed to do. You know, you hear that from a lot of people. I'm sure he heard it. But there was at least one man who stood off to the side and said, our leader is in trouble. His name was Jethro. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. And he notices that his son-in-law is under tremendous stress and strain. How does he figure that out? Because he can see it in Moses. You ever looked at somebody who's burning out? They look old before their time. They're actually dying quickly as their body accelerates the aging process caused by the stress and the strain, the fatigue and the tiredness. They become sickly. They become weak. They become tired. They become irritable. And I'm sure Jethro's family is looking at this man who married his daughter and saying he's falling apart. Before my very eyes, he's falling apart. And I'm sure he heard from his daughter. He's never home. I don't know the man that I married. He's never here. He gets up at 7 o'clock in the morning. He don't come back to, to 9 o'clock at night. He's out there among the people. I know he's doing the will of God, but I don't know him. I don't talk to him. I don't see him. The children don't even know they have a father. And the people, they're lined up in lines that go as far back from here to Trolley Road. How do you think they feel? They want to see Moses. They need his help. And yet they got to take a ticket and get in line and maybe they'll get called six weeks from now. I don't know about you, I don't like to wait five minutes at a grocery store. I can't imagine waiting five hours in that blistering sun to see Moses. Don't you think there's a lot of grumbling and griping going on? Criticizing, fistfights? Sure there are. And it's all because Moses, believing that he is doing the will of God, obeying the word of God, believing that he's doing what he was called to do, 
is doing it all by himself. It's interesting in verses 19 through 23 of Exodus 18, if you have your Bibles, that Jethro decides to say something to Moses. You know, that's what a friend is, ladies and gentlemen. A friend is somebody who will speak truth to somebody when they see they need to hear it. Notice what Jethro says, beginning in verse 19, to Moses. He says, hearken now to my voice. Moses, pay attention. That's what he's saying. Perk up your ears. Open up your mind and heart. I'm about to tell you some wise counsel. And God shall be with me, and God will be with you if you listen. Be thou for the people to Godward. Verse 19. That thou mayest bring the causes unto God. Moses, you should be praying to God concerning all this stuff. That's what you should be doing, bringing these causes to God. And thou shalt teach them the ordinances and the laws of God, and shall show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moses, you ought to be praying to God, and then you ought to be teaching teaching people to help you do the work of God. You're a teacher, Moses. You're an instructor. You're not to be doing it all. And then he goes on. Verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, men that fear God, men of truth, men who hate covetousness, men... Like that, you shall place over the people with you. They're to be assistance to you. As you teach them, let them take over this job that you feel like only you can do. And, and break it down into groups of a thousand and groups of, of hundreds and groups of fifties and groups of tens. Moses, multiply yourself by taking what you know and giving it to other men and letting those men take that and teach the people and administrate the people. That's pretty simple advice, isn't it? It's simple. Doesn't cost any money. Doesn't need any resources. You don't have to have a a program? Moses, just take what you're doing and let others help you. What a novel concept. It's simple counsel from Jethro. It's solid counsel. Would you not agree with me two can do more than one? Would you all agree with that? That ten can do more than one? Y'all agree with that? A hundred can do more than one? Shake your head. Y'all look like you're in a fog. Sure. You know, a test was done of two horses. Sometimes you can learn things from animals you equate to people. That was a, a horse pulling contest. So many of you go to the tractor pull up in Salute every year. Well, this was a horse pull. And the horse that won was able to pull 
9,000 pounds. One horse pulled 9,000 pounds. The runner-up horse was able to pull 8,000 pounds. Now somebody come up with the bright idea, well, if you put these two horses in tandem, meet them together, harness them together, then they ought to be able to pull how much? 17,000 pounds, right? Is that what you think? Well, you're wrong. When those two horses were put together, it wasn't a matter of addition, it was a matter of multiplication. They were able to pull together 30,000 pounds. 15 tons when you put them together. They far outdid what they could do individually, even when brought together. Jethro's advice to Moses is simple. What you're doing is important, you need some help. It's solid. It's a multiplication of Moses' ministry that it will be more excellent, more effective. It's also, most importantly, scriptural. What did God say to Adam why he gave him Eve? I am going to give you a helpmate, someone to assist you as you walk through this life. When Jesus sent out the disciples, he sent them out one by one. All right, glad you know your Bibles. He sent them out two by two. When Jesus began his ministry, he secured the help of how many men? Twelve. Even the Lord understood you need to have help. The apostles, when they were first starting out in the early church, remember the problem in Acts chapter 6? They were overwhelmed with what? Administration. How could they possibly wait on the tables, which meant provide the food to all the Greek and Jewish widows, and still at the same time lead prayer meetings, teach the Word of God, preach three or four sermons a day, do this, do that, they couldn't do it. They cried out to God for help, and God in wisdom said, you can't do it all, do what you're supposed to do, and find seven men who are capable men, who love me, who love the people, and let them do it. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, said these words. He said, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up the other. But woe to him that is alone when he falls, for there's no one to help him get up. If two lie together, then they shall have heat. But how can one stay warm by himself? If one prevails against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. If I was to give you one newspaper and tell you I want you to tear it in half, I think some of you could do that. But if I gave you three newspapers, stacked them all up, and said, tear these in half, you'd be here to doomsday trying. 
When you put things together, they become stronger. They become more solid. They certainly become more successful. And I believe tonight the principle that God wants to teach us from this simple story is we must work together. We must work together. When God saved you, He gave you gifts to go with your natural talents, spiritual gifts to go with your natural talents. God placed you here in His sovereignty in this church, Miles Road Baptist Church. And He wants you to serve in this church. Because if you're not serving, somebody else has to carry your burden. Somebody has to carry your labor. And if somebody has to carry too many burdens and too many labors, they eventually are going to succumb to the stress and the strain, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually of it. I want you to listen carefully as I close. God calls a pastor, and the people receive a pastor into their church. If you have a man of God as your pastor, you didn't call him, God called him. And you approve that call as you received him in that position. When the pastor comes, he brings with him a biblical philosophy and a biblical methodology of what he believes and how he believes things should be done according to the Word of God, using his personality, using his past experiences, using his previous training. God calls him, you receive him, he comes, he has a philosophy of what he believes, he has a methodology of how he believes things should be done, it comes from the Word of God. It invokes his personality, his education, his past experiences, his training. It encompasses who he is. The pastor then begins to teach that philosophy and methodology to his loyal, faithful leadership team. He teaches them. He teaches them, this is what I believe. This is how I want things done. And then he allows them to take their personality, their education, their training, their experiences, and carry out within the parameters that they're given, the responsibilities that they're given. And then the staff takes the lay leadership whom they have responsibility over. And they communicate to the lay leadership. This is how we're to believe on certain matters. This is what we're to do in certain situations. They understand what the staff understands, who understands what the pastor understands, who should understand what God wants. And then the people, the lay leadership, teach 
the congregational teaching. Who serve with them and under them. This is the way that we're going to do things. This is the way that we're going to conduct ourselves. The older teach the younger. The experienced teach the less experienced. The older teach the newer. So, the, so, the, so what you have, folks, in essence, is what? A pyramid that starts at the top and broadens as it goes down. It usually takes about five years for the process to go from the top of the pyramid successfully to the bottom base of the pyramid. Five years. But if the pastor is faithful, the staff is faithful, the lay leadership's faithful, and the people are faithful, amazing things begin to happen at that five-year mark. I said, Pastor, did you come up with that? That's pretty good. Well, I can't take credit for it. I actually borrowed it from the Apostle Paul because he said to Timothy these words in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He said, And the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who then shall teach others. <laughs> Paul introduced the concept of pyramid leadership. He said, You've heard me. Now take what you've heard and teach others, who in turn will teach others. And pretty soon, the whole church, the whole body of Christ comes together. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that's a wonderful message. What does it mean to us? Let me tell you. In 1993, I was called of God to become the pastor of this church. I was in a wonderful ministry in Sumter, was not looking to leave, could have stayed there to Jesus came. But God, in his sovereignty, sent a pulpit committee from this church. They came to Sumter. They heard me. They liked about half of what I said. <laughs> I couldn't remember the other half, which was good. And they came back, and through a series of meetings, they asked me to come down. I came down. I did interviews, which are not done many times, but we did interviews. We had discussions. We did roundtables, we did Q&A with the congregation. I felt comfortable in, that God was leading me here. I believe they felt comfortable that God was bringing me here. 100% of the deacons said bringing. 100% of the pulpit the committee said bringing. 100% of the two-man staff said bringing. 98% <laughs> of the spiritual folks said bringing. So when I arrived, I had to do what? I had to begin to teach my philosophy and methodology. It's not that mine's any better than anybody else's. But if you call the man, you call his ways. You understand that? When I was a football coach. When you call a football coach to coach, you don't tell him what to do. You call him to coach and let him put his offense in, his defense in, his special teams in. You let him administrate the program. You give him wide latitude to do what he's been told and called to do. And this church did that. My philosophy was we're going to love people and tell people the truth. I don't know if that was always done under the past administration. 
We're going to love people. We're going to make a mistake. We'll make it on the side of love. We're going to love people, and we're going to tell the truth. Privately, publicly, before one, before a thousand, we're always going to tell the truth. And the truth is the Word of God. People don't come to hear opinions. They don't come to hear theories. They come to hear the Word of God. We're going to tell them the Word of God. I will model it. I'm going to create the climate for it. That's my responsibility. I shouldn't just preach it. I should practice it. And I must set the climate for it in the church. I will add things to make it work. I will take away things that don't make it work. And those of you who were with me in the early days know that's exactly what we did. We did a lot of changes, and not a lot of people liked it. Some people stayed with us. Some people left. That's fine. Then I got my staff together. I began to teach them. I allowed them to carry out what they were called to be do and be. I told them I wanted things done simply. I'm not a complex person. Simplicity. Scripturally. I want us to do things practically. I want to do things at work. We're not just going to be doing something over and over and over again because we've always done it. We'll get rid of it. If it doesn't work, it's out. We're going to be consistent. We're going to be passionate. If you can't be anything else, be passionate. And that's what we begin to teach. From the top to here, to here, to here, to here. And that's where we're at today. That's where we're at today. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. If our church is going to go to the next level, we need everybody's help. We need everybody's help. We need everybody to find their place in the pyramid. We need everybody to understand the philosophy. We need everybody to understand the methodology. We need everybody unified, working together for the glory of God to accomplish what he's given us. If we do that, the sky is the limit. And I want to say I think we have a good pyramid here in closing. I feel so comfortable when I leave to go somewhere else representing you and I turn this pulpit over not to folks that we've got to bring in from the outside to our own people. You don't know what a relief it is for me to know that when I put our people up behind this pulpit, they're going to preach the Word of God as it should be preached. That we're all just interchangeable parts. Whoever's up here, whether they be Jim Palmer, Neil Price, Gary Blumenstock, Don Hawley, Steve Bice, Norman Fortier, it doesn't matter the name. We're just interchangeable parts that open up the book and preach. It's wonderful to know, and I know Keith would amen this, that when he's not here, we can line up people on this platform that can sing. We got people who can lead the choir. We don't have to go out and borrow anybody. We've got the talent here. When Sunday school teachers can't teach, we don't have to go out and fret about what we're going to do. We've got people in Sunday school classes who can step right up and teach that lesson. 
Debbie can't counsel somebody because of demands on her schedule. She's got other ladies that can step up, other men that can step up, and they can counsel. It is a wonderful thing when you have a pyramid that's functioning as God would have it to function. We have a special place here, ladies and gentlemen. But we need everybody to be involved. If you say, Pastor, I'm too old to do all that anymore, then what you're asking God to do is strike you dead and take you to heaven. You don't need to be here. When you fail, when you no longer want to serve or can serve, then your purpose here is no more. You might as well go to heaven. And I'm not being critical or sarcastic. That's the truth. As long as you're here, God has something for you to do. And we need you to do it. Because we need new leadership here. We need new workers here. We need new servants here. So those of you who are not serving, those of you not are in the pyramid, how about let us use you? Pastor, I know why you're preaching this message. Oh, you do? Pastor, you just lazy. Pastor, you figure out if you can get a bunch of people to do your work, you ain't got to do it. Really? And Pastor, I don't believe you've got a clue what's going on. If you've got all these people doing everything, what do you do? Do you know what's going on? I had somebody call me and ask me that one time. He was asking me a bunch of questions, another pastor. And he's, he finally came to the conclusion, he said, do you know what, the, does the left hand know what the right hand's doing around there? I said, sir, the truth be known, the left hand don't know what it's doing. <laughs> I assure you, I don't need to know everything. I can make a telephone call and get all I need to know at any time. But some say, well, he's just insecure. He doesn't really believe in what he says he believes in because he spread all that, all that help. He gives everything out to his help. I'm not on no ego trip. I don't need the power. I don't mind sharing it with somebody. Well, I just believe you're overrated, Pastor. <laughs> I may well be. But I'm overrated because of people like you that help. Oh, he's just lucky. He's just got good karma. <laughs> you know, I understand how people think, but listen. I don't mind hearing all of that as long as we can make that pyramid and we can be something for God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.